Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Not a lot of trouble starting today's podcast. I don't know why exactly. I knew exactly what I was talking about. We're at ADP 21. Our continuing exploration of the how did ADP serve as a predictor for end-of-season marks. I knew exactly what we were talking about today. I just, I don't know, man. I think, I think I'm ready for the season. I'm really ready. I, I, I we, we sort of got through, like, a lot of the really big dates. We had the playoffs. We had the draft. We had the, the big wave of free agency. I'm waiting with bated breath to find out what happens with DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Those are the kind of the three big things that are still hanging in the balance. I'm sure there's other stuff that's going to float on through. But I'm waiting because those things, more so Kevin Durant, I mean, if you're going to rank it in order of importance from a fantasy standpoint, it's going to be KD, then Kyrie, then Ayton. Because Ayton's going to go someplace he's going to have value similar to what he had in Phoenix, hopefully a tiny bit better. Presumably whoever wants him the most is going to give him a little bit more to do. But that, again, doesn't change a ton, and we still have to kind of wait and see what the Suns plan on doing in their front court. That's really kind of like a one-in, one-out sort of deal. And, you know, if Ayton ends up in Indiana, we have to reassess some of their front court stuff. Isaiah Jackson was a guy that was on a lot of radars. That could kind of go up in flames a little bit. But that's only, that impacts a couple, two, three players, something like that. Kyrie trade, that could impact certainly Kyrie. But again, like he's going to be good, some level of good wherever he goes. KD's the one that really shakes things up. And frankly, the Kevin Durant cloud, whatever you want to call it, however you feel about it, good or bad. I haven't even talked about that side of things. Maybe I'll do that for a little bit here just to kind of get the juices going. However you feel about it, a lot of stuff is coming back to the Nets in that one. The Kyrie one, they might just have to kind of get off of Kyrie and who knows what comes back. I doubt it'll be Russ, but that's the one name that keeps getting kicked around or Russ goes to a third team and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it probably helps some guys on Brooklyn, but Kyrie and KD go out. Brooklyn gets completely upended. What if Durant ends up in Toronto? What does that mean for OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, all that kind of stuff? Because they're probably going back the other way. What does it mean for who's left in Toronto? I am hesitant to really start diving into buckets until we know what's going to happen with specifically the two Brooklyn guys, but really all three of these bigger news items. And there will be little stuff as well. So... I think where I'm at right now mentally is I want to, I desperately want to start doing buckets. Now, there are a lot of you that are newer listeners that probably have no idea what I'm talking about with this bucket stuff. Uh, buckets are how we create our list, basically, on this show, as opposed to um, a standard like one through 200 or whatever it might be. I believe, as we talked about actually in going through some of this ADP stuff, that you kind of categorize players in a group. Hey, these six, seven guys all have very similar probabilities of ending up in group two. As we talked about 
yesterday at great length and, the, and on Friday at great length. Players 2 through 10, basically all to me, were kind of in the same bucket. As it turned out. I mean, I guess we could have said Steph was probably towards the, the head of that snake. But overall, every part of the snake was kind of an equal part of it. So, we'll get into that soon. We're going to complete this analysis first. Because I do think it's going to get built into what we do next. In terms of creating our bucket lists. It's a different kind of bucket list here on Fantasy NBA Today, which, by the way, that's the show you're listening to. Welcome to the pod. Happy Tuesday, whatever the bleep day it is right now. It's Tuesday. Off-season show 67? I might have to go back and count it up. I think that's where we're at. Happy Tuesday. I'm Dan Bespris. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a sportsethos.com presentation, Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. And again, reminder, we got a baseball and a football podcast this year. Pretty damn cool. Our baseball show, Joe Orico. Check him out, Ethos Fantasy BB. JP Sticko, John Paul. That's a football podcast. That's at Ethos Fantasy FB. That one's even younger, believe it or not. We had a football show briefly last year, but it kind of fizzled. That will not be happening this time around. JP's locked in. You guys got to check out our, our football and our baseball feeds. We'll have, we'll have stuff, actually, on the football feed. Baseball feed is going to be mostly links to articles and pods. Football feed will have uh, injury news and stuff like that. Um, probably about a week or two into the season. So a lot of cool stuff going on over at Sports Ethos. And, uh, of course, this is, this is your basketball podcast, which presumably you knew because you probably clicked play on some sort of player. Uh, thank you again, everybody. This offseason's been insane. I don't know how we're, we're doing it. I mean, I know how we're doing it. It's that you all are listening to a lot of Fantasy NBA Today. July is on pace to bust through what we did in June and June was already the biggest off-season month we've ever had in the history of the show that's not running up to actual fantasy draft season. So basically, like, not within 45 days of the start of the season, pretty much. And July is probably going to best that, based on some of the numbers I'm looking at. So thank you again. Thank you again. I don't want to do. Uh, I don't want to spend that much time on recap of what we learned. Oh, you know what? I forgot to have a Kevin Durant rant. Maybe I'll I'll save it. I'll save it. We'll, well, let's get into this stuff. Well, I got a KD rant in the hopper. I'll I'll bust it out when I need it. I'm, my juices are flowing now. Uh, ADP's twenty-one through thirty is basically what we're looking at today. And again, we try to break these off in ten pick chunks because it's just easier to do the math. But that's not always going to be a normal stopping point what we found out over the last two episodes and this is your quick recap for those that don't get to listen to every show is that on friday we analyzed the first 10 picks and basically figured out that Nikola Jokic obviously running away at number one but then picks two through ten minus dame getting hurt minus Doncic, who nine cat doesn't belong anywhere near the top three had kind of an equal chance and frankly, you could put Damon there as well. If he wasn't hurt, he'd have been right there where he usually is. Had basically an equal chance to be the number two player. And I think that's a thing 
that continues season over season. The group behind Jokic got more clustered and more numerous. And then what we learned yesterday, which was basically looking at 11 through 20, and again, this is a somewhat arbitrary cutoffs, although it did happen to fall uh, relatively close in the first 10, is that in the second 10, you had a number of players who got badly hurt. Anthony Davis missed a ton of time. Paul George, Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler all missed a bunch of time this year, although Butler uh, not nearly as significant as the other ones, but fairly significant. Bam Adebayo missed a bunch of time also. Trey Young, Nikola Vucevic, um, Dak Levine were relatively healthy in that group of 10. LeBron was uh, fairly hurt also, but he was... So damn good on a per-game basis, it's kind of hard to know from just looking at the totals numbers. But what we learned there was, for one, we kind of know why we took shots on certain guys. Anthony Davis, he was number 10 per game. Paul George, 16. Jimmy Butler, 14. LeBron, 4. It was quite obvious why we took shots on those guys, and they did basically hit their ADP on a per-game basis but didn't come close, even remotely close, to staying healthy. And so there was this big drop-off on the total side. LeBron, by the way, still beat his, even though he missed a bunch of extra ball games over the league average, because, again, he, he was so far ahead on that per-game side. But AD was within one of his ADP on the per-game side. Trey Young, who was durable, was within one. Paul George was within three. Jimmy Butler was within two. Per-game... Those guys, their, their preseason marker, their ADP, was spot on. But durability matters, specifically at the front end of fantasy drafts. You need your top, basically, three picks to play in damn ball games. Your team's just floating out in the ocean if you don't have your anchor guys actually playing. And that's what killed teams on the turn, because you got it right per game but your guys couldn't get anywhere near their expected number of games played, minus Bradley Beal, who, I don't know what the hell was going on out there. They they mucked up the offense, and then he was just sort of a bystander. But Butler was right there, did what he was supposed to do, PG, AD. They, they did what they were supposed to do, but they didn't stay on the floor. And so what I think our takeaway from yesterday was, is, look, we need to be a little bit more aware of the trade-offs when you're rolling the dice on injury-prone guys like AD, like Butler, like George. Beal wasn't really that type of guy for the last few years, at least. Be aware that even if you get the per-game number right, there's still a lot floating in the ether. And at the same time, and this is where we sort of segue into today's stuff, I don't want us to over-adjust this next grouping because... Look, if Anthony Davis stayed somewhat healthy, he would have been at or near his ADP. If Paul George stayed somewhat healthy, he'd have been right there. If Butler played in mid-60s in games, he'd have been right there. If Anthony Davis, the argument for him certainly is, you know, what if his free throw stroke gets better again? He goes back into the middle of the first round on a per-game marker. What if Paul George... His, his field goal percent, what if that comes back a little bit? Or his turnovers drop from four to two and a half? He moves into the first round. We've seen Jimmy Butler towards the middle back end of the first round 
these things have all occurred, and that's why we kind of got into the 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 deep stuff on like in this next grouping, you're looking for someone that will either be extraordinarily durable or have the per game fantasy game to be a mid first rounder. And that I believe actually extends beyond pick twenty, which is where we got to yesterday, to the next group of guys, which Donovan Mitchell, I'll read them off. Donovan Mitchell, the next 10 is Donovan Mitchell, Freddie Van Vliet, LaMelo Ball, Rudy Gobert, Devin Booker, Russell Westbrook, huh? <laughs> Michael Porter Jr., Julius Randle, DeAndre Ayton and Shea, Gilgis Alexander. Yes, we have not yet said Chris Paul's name. You heard that right. He was outside the top 30 in ADP again. And don't worry, we'll get there. But what I think you're starting to see now as you get to this point is a bit of an extension of that next grouping. Because you could make the argument, not, not specifically, that these guys can be first-rounders on a per-game basis. We know enough about Donovan Mitchell to say he's not going to be a first-rounder per game. He's not. He might be durable. He might be a second-rounder per game. That Still is kind of a little bit of a stretch. He was number 25, just missed it this year. But he doesn't have the, the upside of a guy like Anthony Davis. Even though, at the end of this year, you could look back and go, damn, I wish I had Donovan Mitchell over Anthony Davis. If AD plays in mid low to mid-60s in games, he beats Donovan Mitchell. That's all it would have taken. What about Freddie Van Vliet, who went next? He was 17 per game, and you know Toronto is going to run their guys into the ground. He was 22 by totals. Did we think Freddie could have been a first-rounder? I think he had a shot to kind of end up near the turn, and, and honestly, he probably does end up in that range uh, if they don't kind of mitigate him a bit late in the season. So maybe that's one, and honestly, I don't remember him having an ADP of 22. It seemed like he was going closer to... 15, 16 in almost every league I was in, but we'll roll with the numbers we've got. LaMelo Ball. Uh, he took a big step forward, but let's also remember that after beginning the season as a first-rounder, he fell back to a late second on a per-game basis. He ended up being very durable. So he finished as a first-rounder by totals, but I think when you drafted him, you were thinking at 25, basically where he went in most drafts that I was in, 23 is this ADP is, I think, pretty accurate. You were looking at him going, look, if he's going to get to this point, everything's going to kind of have to go right. And it did. But there wasn't a whole lot of room in front of that unless he was also quite durable. Rudy Gobert. There was no way he was going to be a first-rounder, but he's been a mid-second, and he'd been relatively durable for about three years in running. And yeah, he missed a couple extra games this season, but still pretty much hit his mark as a mid-to-late second-rounder. Devin Booker. No chance he was going to get into the first round. He had a great season and finished at 20, which I think was a huge win. 17 by totals. He played in pretty much the league average number of games played. But again, if you were drafting Booker, if you were this head-to-head battle, all of the guys I just listed in this next grouping, Donovan Mitchell, Freddie Van Vliet, LaMelo Ball, Rudy Gobert, Devin Booker, they all finished ahead of every one of those guys I mentioned before. AD, Paul George, Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler, these guys that have a history of performing in the mid to late first rounds or better. But every single one of those guys I just mentioned finished behind them 
on a per-game basis. So again, we're now kind of debating how accurate a handicap can we get on a player's health. Donovan Mitchell, what's this next year going to look like for him? He's going to have to carry the team. Does that mean more injured games? Or that he has to play through stuff more often to get him into the playoffs? Freddie Van Vliet, is he about to have a Kevin Durant on his team? Hard to handicap that one. LaMelo Ball, presumably he'll just keep getting a little bit better. That's a kind of a different case than the other ones here because he's still very much on the rise. But Gobert? Are you really going to take Gobert over Anthony Davis in a draft? Maybe. If you feel so confident that Rudy's going to play in 66 games or more and AD's not, maybe you take that trade off. One guy who's going to be near number 20 per game and the other's probably going to be near number 10. These are the very difficult decisions you have to make, but also it's why I don't want us overreacting to what we saw as almost a whole in the early to middle second round this year. It's going to be different players going in that group. You're going to see AD and PG and Butler definitely be old. You're going to see those guys go later because people got burned by health stuff. What if you had a chance to draft Jimmy Butler instead of at 15 or 16, or instead of like just past the turn? What if you had a chance to get him at 25? Wouldn't you do it? He's 14 per game. Mediocre health gets you pretty close to hitting. This last year is 32 by totals, and he missed so much time with a bruised butt early in the year. I know you guys remember it. I do. I had a lot of Jimmy Butlers, and of all those early upside turn type of guys, he was the one that bludgeoned you the least. So the reason I don't want to overreact, and look, like you can pull out the names that you feel per game-wise don't belong. I didn't think Zach Levine belonged in the top 20 this year because I didn't think his per game output was going to be near the top 20 this year. I didn't think Demonis Sabonis was going to be in near the top 20 this year. Per game, Yahoo and the ADPs still doing pretty well. Beal, I would argue, was kind of the one guy where you're like, well, what in the ever-loving bloop happened here? Most of the other ones, you could kind of see a path to why it ended up that way. Adebayo started really slow, got hurt, played better late, but it was too little too late. He would have ended up probably in the late 20s per game, which wasn't as good as you wanted, but you kind of you had a feeling there'd be a little step back. Vooch, little step back. Levine, little to medium step back. That's the handicapping side of it. So if you disagree with an ADP, that's a different thing than let's look at the guys that had an ADP where we thought they ought to be, and then did they hit or did they miss? And now, look at the back end of this 25 to 30 range. Russell Westbrook, shudder. Michael Porter Jr., disaster, injury-related on that one. Julius Randle, just way overdrafted after a year that looked anomalous and was anomalous. DeAndre Ayton, who only hit his marks last year because of totals. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who can't hit his marks because his team won't let him get to totals. Ended up having a really good per-game year, Shea did, but, I mean, you knew he was going to get shut down. Either the pre-tank or the mid-tank. He was kind of a mid-tank, and they let him play a little bit at the end of the year, and then 
kind of shut him down again. You're getting more now into selectivity as you're drafting these names. It's harder to just bunch them all together and say, oh, yeah, like, you know, these numbers mean this and these numbers mean that. Because now you're starting to see names where you're like, okay, yeah, that dude just straight up didn't belong. Like, Russell Westbrook is badly screwing with the numbers on our board here, uh, but he didn't belong there. So it's probably better when we do these analyses to pull out a player like Russ. Or even Michael Porter Jr., who, if Denver had given any indication that he was dealing with back problems, he wouldn't have been going in the mid-20s. No chance. He went there because every indication was that he was healthy and Jamal Murray was going to miss the entire season. And so Porter was going to just roll along like he did at the end of the previous year when Murray was out. And then his back was messed up. He couldn't shoot and they shut him down for the year. Oops. But Westbrook and Randall, well, you can take one look at those guys. Per game-wise, they had no shot of getting anywhere near where that was. They had no shot. Ayton... Gilgis Alexander, they they had kind of an outside shot. Shea got there. Aiden, Aiden wasn't, he was 43 per game, so not terrible. But again, I do believe that this group is another example, kind of like the second group of 10, of not really wanting to overreact too much. And saying, oh, well, you know, I should have taken Devin Booker over Anthony Davis this last year. Yeah, maybe. Like, as the numbers bore themselves out, sure. Yeah, he beat him. Or oh, I should have taken Donovan Mitchell. Or even frickin' Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, by totals, it all bears itself out. But you know me. I'm a Roto 9 category games cap kind of dude. So when I look at it and I say, oh, Anthony Davis, number 10 per game with infinite upside, infinite. Be it the steals, the blocks, if his free throw ever comes back, there's infinite upside with AD. He's been number one in fantasy before. I'm still probably taking Anthony Davis at that spot in the head-to-head battle, as risky as it is. Honest to goodness, I'm probably not taking either of them at 11. But if you, if you look at these numbers and your takeaway is, I should have taken Donovan Mitchell at 11 instead of Anthony Davis, I don't think that's right. I don't know that there's a great answer there. I mean, obviously the answer was Trey Young should have been going in front of Anthony Davis. But they were back-to-back. Trey went 12 and AD went 11. So you're splitting hairs at that point. As you look farther down the board, the names where you're like, oh, yeah, maybe that guy would have made sense at 11 just don't really exist. Because if you're not taking AD, and let's say Trey Young was already gone at that point, and your your goal at this level now is you're like, okay, I don't care about upside. I'm going to dodge injury-prone guys. So you're leaving AD, Paul George, Jimmy Butler. You're leaving those guys on the board. Who would you have taken there? Vooch? He didn't hit his ADP, even with the durability. And per game-wise, he was a round and a half back of where he was drafted. Sabonis? No. Adebayo? That didn't work, and I did it in a few spots. Basically on the, I need this guy to be durable. It's not a... This is, I believe, the core of what makes this group of players so complicated. Basically from 11 through 
I mean, crap, like you could extend it to 25 if you want or 30. I don't know that we need to, but in this case, we might as well because that's kind of what we're breaking down today. That's what makes this decision so hard, whether it's your picks near the turn, so it's two picks early, and it's why teams that drafted 10, 11, 12 this year did so horribly in fantasy. You were just doomed because right from the outset, except for the ones that got Trey. If you ended up with, like, Trey and Vooch, you survived it. But in general, teams that had late picks this year were so very, very doomed because the decision you're making there is, do I roll the dice on someone with massive per-game potential but probably misses 25 games, namely AD, Jimmy Butler, sort of Paul George? We didn't know, but we kind of knew. Or... Do I, quote-unquote, play it safe with someone who's been historically durable? But the bottom can fall out of that so fast because if you get someone who's historically durable who isn't, you miss your per-game mark because he wasn't someone that you expected to beat that number anyway, and then you miss the totals mark even farther. And Adebayo is probably the best example of that in this range. He's been extraordinarily durable. It felt almost like a shoe-in that he would beat the league average number of games played, even with as many games as the Heat have had to play lately. But you knew he wasn't going to get to his where he was drafted per game, not with Tyler Hero getting better and Kyle Lowry coming in and the Heat just sort of bringing in other guys besides just Bam and Jimmy. He was 38 per game. I thought it would probably be more like low 20s, so you know that was a miss, obviously. But then he was also hurt. Who would you have rather had this year? That's a hard question. Adebayo or Anthony Davis? Because AD was number 10 per game, and in a games cap Roto League, you get to fill in the stuff around it. Bam Adebayo was 38 per game, and I know he played in a bunch more games, greater number than Anthony Davis. And so to that end, Bam won the totals battle. But I think I might have rather had AD. Because at least when he was out there, you're collecting first-round numbers. And you fill it in around him, you hope. Again, at the end of the day, you probably don't really want to have either of them. So who the hell would you have wanted to have from the second round? Forget the second round. From pick 11 through whatever. As it turns out, that whole group ended up kind of flipped on its head. But only because... All of the upside guys got hurt. All of them. Even LeBron. Although he was so good on the upside front that he still beat his ADP by totals. Even with all the missed games due to injury. But AD, upside play, hurt. Paul George, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James. All of them. If even one of those guys is somewhat healthy especially from the front end of it, from the ADPG Butler contingent or Beal, but again, he was bad per game anyway. Like, if Paul George played in 69 games this last year and was a first-rounder by totals, I think we'd be having a very different discussion of, oh, you know, how do we distinguish between Paul George and Anthony Davis? How do we distinguish between one of these guys that's been hurt in the past? But because all of them, to a T, every single one of them ended up badly hurt at some point this season. 
we're able to look at this and go, well, all of the upside plays, that's a terrible decision. And that's why I don't want us to overreact because, yeah, it was a clean sweep, but it's not always going to be a clean sweep. At some point, these more injury-brone players are going to be kind of near the league average in games played. AD's going to play in 64 some year. Or 62. And Paul George will play in 63. And Jimmy Butler will play in 65. It'll probably happen. Maybe not. To some one of them, at least. LeBron will play in 65 or 66. And then, all of a sudden, everybody's going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I should have taken those guys towards the front end of the second round, as opposed to hoping Donovan Mitchell stays healthy. Or, I love him, but Rudy Gobert stays healthy. Those guys that don't have first-round upside, but happened to stay healthy this year, all of them, pretty much. Van Fleet, healthy enough. Not great. LaMelo, very healthy. Gobert, just healthy enough. Booker, pretty healthy. All of those guys. So he had one whole collection of upside guys who were hurt, and one whole collection of, I expect these guys to be between 18 and 20 and 30 that weren't hurt. It's an impossible choice. But what we haven't looked at for next year, this coming season is, where do we think these names actually stack up? We kind of need to see ADPs to know. Are we going to have this same excruciating choice between 11 and 25? Or is there going to be a little bit of a jumbling? You know, does Doncic ever fall? No, probably not. Does Cat fall down? Does Halliburton fall up? (laughs) These types of things, like the little adjustments there. Does Adebayo move back far enough where, you know, is there another upside guy who posted value in the early teens that we're overlooking right now? By the way, the answer is, mm, eh. Kyrie will be up there probably. DeJounte Murray, I don't know how far he moves up the board. There aren't that many guys I'm looking at here where you're like, oh, yeah, that guy probably slides into that, like, 11 to 25 range that wasn't there this last season, unless you're just looking at it from, does anybody fall out? And then just the whole board moves up two or three slots. Westbrook sure as crap ain't going at 26. All right, that's lesson three as we work our way through the numbers. We'll try to get through some of the the next few names. I keep saying we're going to try to do 20 at some point, but I just feel like there's a lesson from almost every group here. Whatever. On to the next one. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. I am Dan Bespris. Love you guys. Talk to you tomorrow.